Are you feeling overwhelmed? Is it lonely at the top of your ministry? Are you depressed? We are talking about that and more with Dr. Clarence Schuler today on the podcast. Let's do it. This is the definitive podcast for helping you plan, create, and execute dynamic worship experiences at your church. Useful, practical content in the areas of production, worship, communications, first impressions, and more. This is Making Sunday Happen. Hey friends, welcome to the podcast. This is episode number 425 of our show. We are leading up to the closing of this podcast with episode number 430. Number 430 will be our last one, but have no fear. I am moving over to host a brand new show called Your Visuals Matter. It's going to be all about how to visually communicate the gospel through graphics and video. How do you use visual media to reach this generation for Jesus? So we are launching a brand new platform, brand new name, brand new brand, um, and it's going to house new podcasts, a brand new podcast network. You'll see multiple personalities uh, inside the network. Uh, You'll also see courses, webinars, articles, books, and more. We want you to learn how to visually communicate the gospel. So uh, all that is coming, and the brand new podcast, Your Visuals Matter, is coming soon. All right, on today's episode, I'm talking with pastor and author Clarence Schuler. Clarence is the author of the book Finding Hope in a Dark Place, Facing Loneliness, Depression, and Anxiety with the Power of Grace. In the book, Clarence shares his own story of depression and how God's grace, uh, by God's grace, he's learning to manage it each and every day. And hopefully today, you might recognize your own story in Clarence's, and it can serve as a reminder to you that hope is possible and worth pursuing. Even in the darkness, God is with you in that sacred place. We'll jump in with Clarence right after this. Hey, ministry leader, it's time you're in the middle of fall ministry preparation and rollout. But let me interrupt briefly with a huge announcement from our team. By now, you know, we're changing our name and this is a huge rebrand for us, but we are excited for what it means for you. First, we're combining 1230 Media and 1230 Kids. Now, this simplifies our catalog of work. And secondly, we are ready to announce our brand new name and brand. We're changing our name to, cue the drum roll, Church Visuals. Now why? Because that's what we specialize in. And our promise to you, we'll provide you with world-class graphics and videos to help you visually communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to your community. Now, why is this so important to us? Because it is to you. Your visuals matter. We are so pumped about our new logo and our new brand. Over the last several months, we've been working on a massive new website. We'll also be changing our social media channels. Both of those changes will set us up for the future in a big way to help serve you even better. This rebranding process has us laser focused on leading the church visuals industry. And I'd like to say that we're launching everything with our new name and brand today. But as you know, everything takes time and 
We want you to be on this ride with us. So be on the lookout for church visuals soon. We didn't want to surprise you with any of the changes. And thank you for walking with us on this journey. And in a very short time, we'll let you know when the official launch of our new website is and all the details so that you know how our new name impacts you. In the meantime, let me give you some brand new free church visuals for your time. As you move into the fall, I want to give you our latest Fall Volume 4 pack. And this collection of visuals includes a countdown, title motions, editable title and social media graphics, and more. It's a $25 value for you, completely free for your church. Just go to 1230media.com slash freefallpack, or you can click on the link below. You can use the code FALL23 at checkout. Again, that's 1230media.com slash freefallpack and use the code FALL23 at checkout to download it completely free. We are praying for you as you launch your fall ministries. And remember, your visuals matter. Hey guys, today I welcome Dr. Clarence Schuler. Clarence is the president and CEO of BLR, Building Lasting Relationships. He's a popular keynote speaker to youth, college students, and singles about relationships and is involved with several marriage and relationship organizations. His brand new book, Finding Hope in a Dark Place, is available now. Clarence, welcome back, man. Hey, well, thanks so much for having me, Carl. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, for coming. Uh, how's uh, how's Brenda and your family? Well, Brenda's doing well. I mean, actually, she's um, we're getting ready to head out this weekend to go do a marriage conference for a ministry called Family Life. Yeah, in Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, we're just doing well, traveling a lot. She just we just we're in North Carolina with Gary Chapman. Uh, doing some uh, interviews and stuff like that and trying to help that church uh, work on some areas of diversity. So we're yeah. staying busy. <laughs> yeah, I know that you guys had a had a book. I interviewed both of you for the the uh, your diversity book that came out or the, yes. I guess, cross-cultural relationships or friendships. Right, um, right. And so how's that going? How, what's the impact of that project? Man, that book's just taken off. You know, uh, I think God's hands on it because I think a lot of times in the church, uh, we're not sure how to address that, but it's a mm-hmm. real big issue. And so I think that we're coming through, uh, oh, the other church, uh, like just this past weekend, we were helping this mega church. Uh, we talked about sharing our story. And then um, the other thing was we talked to the church staff and there mm-hmm. were a lot of wounded people, but they didn't always know where they were wounded. And so we we're trying to help them hear each other and talk to each other. So it was, it was a really good week, a real busy week, but a real good week last week. So it's good. it's doing it's doing pretty well. Um I like to see it do a little better, but we'll see what happens. I mean, yeah. because we're excited because it actually shows you how you can actually do it instead of just talk about how you can actually make those friendships that can last for a lifetime. Yeah. You guys did a great job with that with that project. I know you guys have been friends for a long time. Um, tell me how this new book, Finding Hope in a Dark Place, um, how did this project come to you? Why did you uh, choose to write on this topic? Well, honestly, um, I just gone through the depression in 2017, probably my darkest and deepest one. And as I was coming out, what God typically does, he has me speak or preach about it when I have an opportunity to do so. Mm-hmm. And so after Fatherhood Commission, um, Mitch asked me to do the devotionals. And that was my devotion when I spoke about it. Stephen Kendrick went crazy. He said, "Man, you gotta get this out." And people were taking pictures of the slides, and 
And then that next Saturday and Sunday, right after that, I had to preach and the response was really pretty amazing. And one guy says most profound sermon he ever heard. And I wish you could say, cause I was such a great preacher, but I think what was really happened was because the topic, you just don't hear people talk about it in church very much. And then I think to give a biblical solutions or perspectives on it, uh, people just looking for that. So, um, so we're just going crazy, and it's selling really fast. I mean, we were in Winston-Salem with Gary trying to sell the cross-cultural book because that was what the event was about. But we had some of my depression books, and depression books went like hotcakes. I mean, it's just yeah. they just went crazy. Well, I think I agree with you. I think it's a topic that I think a lot of pastors, a lot of church leaders, and not just the senior leader, but the church staff is dealing right. with this uh, as well. And I'll get into this a little bit later, but I'm wondering if because we work for a church, Mm. it's harder to find a church, you know, or or it's harder to express my feelings because I'm expressing it to a coworker as opposed to my church leaders. You want to speak to that? Well, yeah, you know, it's funny. I, you know, when I was in Winston, uh, a person was struggling with an issue but they didn't feel like it necessarily go to the church leadership. Uh, one, concerned about a safe place. Two, because church leadership was busy. Then there's a protocol. What's the hierarchy? How do I work my way up to get the senior person or pastor to know what, what we're dealing with? And so that is a big issue. And even in Christian organizations, Christian churches, especially if you work on staff, um, somewhat like the pastor, we're supposed to be super Christians. We're supposed mm-hmm. to have all the answers. We're not supposed to have any problems. So when we have problems, that becomes an issue. And that was an issue for me because I counsel people all the time. So it took a while for me to accept counseling from someone else because I needed help and I couldn't help myself. So mm-hmm. it can be a real issue. And so if the senior leadership or senior pastor can periodically just have kind of a town hall meeting and say how we're doing, no matter what the topic is, I think it would really be helpful and, could, and create a safe place where their people, staff are able to share things in a safe environment. So how many pastors, you were saying that you get this, these stories a lot. How many pastors and church leaders struggle with with this loneliness, depression, anxiety? H- how many do and don't don't tell anyone? Keep it silent. silent. Carl, I, w- I would probably say is in the high 80s, and that would be very conservative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think somehow we've embraced or, or we've had to pick up or think we had to pick up this Superman uh, mantle to where as a senior pastor, we've got to lead everybody. I'm helping a senior pastor. Maybe his church is maybe 10,000 people. We say, I can't talk to people, my staff about this. And so the reason I'm talking to, I'm outside of the church is a safe place. It won't mm-hmm. get around. So it's, it's really tough for senior pastors. And that's why a lot of times people have events just for senior pastors. So they can kind of let their hair down and share their issues. But it's, I say it's very high, you know, um, just like the pornography issue, when Promise Keepers came out, it was really a high percentage of pastors had inappropriate conversations or touching. I, I think it's just as high with the loneliness piece with um, and depression piece sometimes in regards to ministry. So is it true that it is lonely at the top? Yes. And that's why we encourage people at the top uh, to have at least one person that you're accountable to. Um, I have developed, I've had at times four or five different peers, older men that speak into my life. 
Uh, and, I, and that's really important. And I have spiritual sons who call me, but also we go back and forth. We're pretty transparent. But I think it would be wise for senior pastors to have one or two people that they can talk to about anything that uh, may or may not be in their church. Uh, so uh, because the Christian life was not designed to to live alone. And so even leaders need other leaders to help them be effective in that and and have that accountability. Because when we don't have accountability, Carl, uh, we can fall in a lot of different areas. Do you think that that's why we've probably seen more uh, moral fa- failures lately oh. is because of oh. the Maybe it could be the mega church model of it's supposed to be a Superman on stage that has no problems. But what if he shares too much, then it becomes an it, it's just kind of a little bit of a messy situation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, the guy I really talk about, even in the book, um, is the pastor of Life Church that started out of Oklahoma. But they've got yeah. like 37 satellites. Yeah. He's pretty transparent. He's pretty he's pretty vulnerable and people can relate to that. And especially younger people say he's transparent and he's authentic. And that's what tends to draw them to that. I think, you know, a couple of things when you're talking to women, now I'm old school, so this might not work for everybody, but I typically don't counsel a woman uh, by myself because anything can happen. When you cross gender, there's a natural tendency for her to touch you or you to touch her. And that can just lead to something inappropriate, especially if they're struggling to marriage. So, if I ever had to counsel a woman, I would usually have a window in my uh, office door. I would have my administrative assistant poke her head in that window about every 15 minutes. And I would tell the woman, this is a safeguard for you and for me. Or if my yeah. assistant wasn't there, we would meet in a lobby where people could see us talking and even they couldn't hear us. It's just, it's just, I just think it makes sense to do that. When we tend to be by ourselves with opposite sex and they're struggling their marriage or we're struggling in ours, it's just a really great yeah. opportunity for Satan to have something happen. And so mm-hmm. I just try to avoid on a sense of, of being maybe too cautious. Yeah. Good point. All right. Obviously we don't set out to be in a dark place. Give me kind of the yeah. path of most, most leaders. How, how do we get, how, how do we get there? Well, I think sometimes as just trying to be a good leader, we're trying to handle sometimes maybe more things than we should. And sometimes we get in a situation or we get criticism and sometimes even as leaders, we can be over sensitive toward criticism. And sometimes it's constructive. Sometimes it's meant to hurt. And if we don't have somebody to share that with, to help balance that, we can just kind of sink into that dark place and say, I'm all by myself, this and that. And mm-hmm. unintentionally kind of woe is me. And then we're in a dark place. We're separated. And what Satan likes to do is divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. And so I think when we when it gets there, then we have a problem. And then if we are always answering questions for other people, why can't we solve our own problem? So just like we try, you know, just like a doctor tries to operate himself, sometimes as a spiritual leader, we're trying to operate on ourselves or be our own attorney, which yeah. judges say you have the food is trying to represent yourself in court. So and there's things we can't see. That's why it's important to have the other person. So I think we can go with good intentions. And we're just carrying things on us that we're not necessarily designed to carry or it's too much. So when that happens, talk to me about panic attacks. So when the mental, physical, emotional is just so overwhelming, how how do I know if I'm having a panic attack? Well, I think it's different for everybody else, but panic attack just comes out of nowhere. All of a sudden, you've got all these meetings. you got your elders or deacons 
uh, you're struggling with your marriage, your kids want to spend more time with you. And all of a sudden you just like, gosh, I don't have time. And then you think, then maybe you think, Hey, I'm, I'm failing at what I'm doing. And so all this hits you. And, and then you're all of a sudden your heart's racing. You haven't been working out physically and you're just freaking out. And so I think that's a, your prime candidate for a panic attack. And you're processing that. Um, when I had my panic attack, I was go- actually going to work out. And I just began to listen to Christian music that really began to soothe my soul. And I was listening to music I normally wouldn't listen to, but the words were so powerful and so biblical, they really helped me a lot. And so um, and so the, the, the music and the words changed my attitude. And once we change the way I think, we think, then that impacts how we do the emotion, our actions, how we deal with emotionally. So a panic attack comes out of the blue. Anxiety is when something is coming up and we an event or something, and we're worried about how it's going to pan out. Yeah, so maybe talk to me more about that, the difference between anxiety and a full-on panic attack. Well, anxiety attack is like, um, it could be, say, you're trying to go to college, you need to score so much on the SAT, so your parents can't afford to send you to college, so you're looking for a scholarship, so you're trying to get it down, but you don't do well on standardized tests, and so... The anxiety can be that I'm so worried about the test. I'm so worried that I don't do well on a test. I can almost sabotage myself before I even get to the test. And even when the test is handed out, I'm freaking out. I'm thinking I'm not going to do well. So the whole time I'm taking a test, instead of just reading the questions and trying to figure out the answers, I'm all, in the back of my head, I'm, I'm going to fail. But usually what happens is when you actually get into the event or whatever is happening, it's not as bad as you thought it was. It's just the buildup to the event can sometimes, you know, sabotage us and make us emo- put us in what I call emotional slavery. Hmm. But again, a panic attack comes out of the blue and we're not expecting it just hits us where all of a sudden our body or our mind says, this is too much. And, and then we're trying to react to that. Let's kind of move to finding hope. Uh, you know, if if we are in a dark place, how do we let's move to kind of how do we get out of it? How do we work our way uh, out of that dark place and into into more hope? So how do we win that battle for our mind? OK, well, I think um, a couple of things if we're trying to win the battle for our mind. We have to kind of look at God's character and versus Satan character. You know, Satan is for immediate pleasure, immediate gratification, and doesn't tell you the consequences of doing anything. And even if that includes sin, he'll say, God, forgive you, which is true. God will. But Satan doesn't tell you about the consequences. God tends to work long term, more like a marathon. And you're in process Mm -hmm. of working through all this stuff. Let me share a verse that uh, the book is based on. It comes out of Isaiah 45, verse three. And it says, I will give you treasures hidden in the darkness secret riches. I would do this so you know that I'm the Lord, the God of Israel, the one who calls you by name. Now think about that. If there are hidden treasures in the darkness, that means being in a dark place is not necessarily sin. And the darkness is not necessarily sin. In fact, my counselor said something to me that was real profound. She says, when you're in your dark place, because God's with you in your dark place, if you're looking for God, your dark place can be a holy place. And that was really profound because for me, I was so deep down and focused on myself. I wouldn't think about God being there with me. But if we go back to this verse, uh, uh, Isaiah 45, 3, if we're digging for treasures, 
that means we don't have to rush out of the dark place. And if guys that are with us and are hidden treasures and secret riches, we're going to get those actually in the dark place. So God can actually heal us while we're in the dark place before we ever come out. So we don't have to rush out. And what it means in real simple terms, we don't have to fake being fine. So, Carl, if you say, Clarence, how are you doing? If I'm really honest, I can say, Carl, I'm, I'm kind of struggling right now, kind of working through some stuff. But, uh, hey, will you pray for me or whatever? I don't necessarily have to tell you everything I'm going through, but I don't have to say, oh, I'm fine, 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 you know, like mm-hmm. that. So it's, it's okay. And it's not simple necessarily. And so I think that's important. And that's the difference between trying to find out what God's trying to teach us in a dark place as opposed to a pity party. Mm-hmm. But the battle for our mind, uh, Gary Chapman says this. He says when we're stuck emotionally, that we have to line up how we think with the word of God. And then he says we have to line up our actions with the word of God, and then our emotions will follow. But if we don't change what we think and we don't change our actions, we'll stay stuck emotionally. And that's, a, that's I think it's a really good short formula to getting out of uh, mm-hmm. a depressive place, you know. But again, it doesn't mean we totally dump depression. But what it may mean is we can manage it more effectively. Mm. How long did it last for you? How long was your depression? Well, I've had depression. I've battled it several different times. This was probably a good month, which is mm. for some people that's really short. But I was just kind of leave me alone. Don't talk to me. Don't give me the Christian cliches. Right. And I, I shared just briefly that the thing that triggered my depression didn't go well. And I was looking for validation through how much money I made on this thing and stuff like that, and that I would have arrived. And one of the ladies who prays for our ministry is a counselor, and she read between the lines. She actually reached out to me and said, you want to talk about it? And initially I said no, but then she, but then I asked God to counsel me. He wasn't responding. So I called her back, and, and we began to slowly work through it. So for me, it was about a month, a month and a half, because uh, in October— so probably by the end of November, I was I was coming out of it and mm-hmm. and functioning better, you know. Mm-hmm. So by the time the first week of the fatherhood convention, com- the first week of December yeah. when the fatherhood uh, commission uh, runs, I was I was in a much better place. Yeah, uh, there is there a stigma. I mean, there there is a stigma of if I'm a pastor, I don't need counseling. You know, I I don't need I don't need that. That's not for me. I'm kind of I'm the one who does that. Right. Um, how do we break ourselves of, of that? Well, thought? honestly, um, and I understand it because I think I just told you that, uh, but it can be an arrogance. Um, and I think that when we need help, we just need to ask for help. It may be uncomfortable if you're used to giving help all the time, I'm supposed to ask. And it was uncomfortable for me. And uh, I had this young lady who lives in Atlanta. I'm in Colorado Springs. So we did it mostly by text and by phone. Um, but she could see things in me that I couldn't see. And I think if we're hurting, that's why we go to the doctor because that doctor, he or she, whoever it is, they can see things. They're trained to see things that we can't see. And if you're a counselor, we can be blind to that. So I, I think we just need to swallow our pride and say, hey, I need help, help me. And, and we need to understand our selfishness can impact our marriage. It can impact our kids. If we're messed up, we're not getting help. So it's not just about us. And it's mm. going to impact the congregation, which we're preaching. Mm. And this, and Carl, one thing I learned, I learned people can see your weaknesses or they can tell something's wrong. They may not know exactly what's going on, but they can mm-hmm. see it. So if we're not getting help, we need help. 
people say something's wrong with the pastor. I don't know what's going on, but and they might just say, let's pray for him. But they can tell something's not quite right. What if I'm that friend that uh, that you come to? You're going to confide in me. You're going through a dark place. You're going to confide in me. How do I how should I respond? How, how should I make sure that you feel safe and taken care of? Well, I think the first thing would be just say, hey, this is stays between you and me. You know, if, if you're married, I'll say, I'm not going to share it with my wife. I'm not going to share it with the pastor. Just between you and me. I think the other thing is is to listen and say and ask, how do you feel? Um, ask questions. Why do you think you feel that way when this happens? Um, hey, what are some of the things that trigger you think may be triggering the way you are responding to this? So I'd be asking this. And I would, and I would ask, too, uh, what do you think God is in the midst of all this? Where you're not going to preach at, you're not going to say, hey, read this or memorize this, you'll be fine. But I think asking those questions or sometimes what I say, Carl, is, hey, if you want to talk about it and you just want me to listen, I won't say a word. I just listen. If you want Mm -hmm. me to respond, I do that. And so I think those kind of options really help a person feel safe when they can come and talk. And and Carl is really big with people who are thinking about committing suicide. You know, most people who think about committing suicide really want somebody to ask them how they're doing because they really don't want to commit suicide. But if no one asks them or talk to them, then they're more likely to do that. So that was a great question, Carl, you asked. That would be a great friend to really ask those questions. Let, let's move to the, the the topic of suicide. What if I What if I've gotten in such a dark place that I'm committing suicide? What are some things that I should consider? Well, the biggest thing that I tell people who are committing, who are thinking about death by suicide is consider the people you're leaving behind. You know, I, I can, it's, it may not be a good illustration, but if you stump your toe, you're thinking about that toe feeling better. I mean, because it hurts. That's where all your attention is. You're not thinking about your hand. You're not thinking about your wrist, nothing about your head. So all attention goes there. But the reality is that when your toe gets better, you still got to figure out the rest of your body. And so what I tell people who are thinking about committing death by suicide is that there are more people that love you than you realize. And even the people who love you, who may not communicate that the way you want it to be communicated, it doesn't mean they don't love you. And then I share with them, especially if they're younger people, what it does to the parents they leave behind. You know, most parents who are survivors of a divorce, of a suicide by their child often end up in divorce. I think it's like 53% or something. Mm. Uh, Some of them, you don't recover from a death, but sometimes you have to learn how to work through it, if that makes sense. You don't, quote, get over it. And But if they do that, and if they realize how much they may hurt other people uh, by leaving, if they can think about that, a lot of times they won't commit to suicide. The other thing we talk about is that where you're in your dark place now, typically life, as life goes on, it'll change. And typically it'll get better. I talked to a guy who was considering suicide, but he had a younger son. And he didn't commit suicide because of his younger son. And things got mm-hmm. better. Now he, his son's grown up, gotten married. And he said, I'm so glad I didn't do that because life is so much better now. But he was in a 25-year really bad situation. Mm-hmm. And he finally got out of it. And so I think life would typically change. So I tell them those kind of things to think about. And usually people who commit suicide are usually sensitive people. But if they think about their other people who will really be hurt by me doing it, a lot of times they they won't do it. So we need to have that conversation. 
I think it's important for us to to talk about that because there are people that are in that such a dark place that they're considering yes. it. Even yes, pa- yes. even pastors and church leaders. I knew a, oh. a pastor a couple of years ago who took his life by by suicide. They had a church and a and a, a family and everything just out of the blue. Uh, and right. so sometimes you you just don't you don't know uh, what's going on with people. So, uh, but uh, but I want to speak to people all across the 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 spectrum here. It, it could just be I'm feeling a little bit lonely. To I'm moving to a dark place and I want to I don't want to be there and then I or I'm I'm seriously depressed right now or I'm suicide you know could be suicidal I want to speak to all those do you do you think that we are more vulnerable pastors church leaders church staff ministry folks are we more vulnerable to the enemy because we're in ministry I think we are I, I think we're more vulnerable one because so because we're in ministry, we're on the front lines and Satan, we're in a battle with Satan. So he, if he can defeat us, then he's going to defeat those people who are following us. And so, yeah, I, I think that's huge. And so I think that's why more than ever, we need to have one friend that we can talk to and who can hold us accountable that we can talk to about anything. We know it just stays with that one person. I, I think that's huge. We all need that. I mean, as an African-American, a lot of times working in predominantly white Christian events or situations, I have called another black guy and said, Hey man, tell me I'm not crazy. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it, sometimes we just need to do that. And that's, that's really important. And, or they may say, well, you are crazy, but that's okay. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think we need to have people we can call out to that we can do that with. So yeah, I, I do think we're more a precarious situation. And I think because of that, we need to check on our own mental health. I think we need to become mm-hmm. responsible for that and say, you know, um, let me go talk to a counselor. Maybe I don't want to talk to a counselor on staff here at our church, but maybe let me go find someone and just say, hey, you know, um, I'm kind of having these thoughts. You know, what do you think? And I think mm-hmm. it would really be wise to do that. I think a lot of times insurance covers that, but I think it'd be wise thing to do just once or twice a year, just go to talk to a counselor and say, hey, you know, I think I'm okay, but here's some things I'm dealing with. Um, what do you think? Yeah. Is that a, if I'm in counseling, do I need to like do it for two or three months and then, then stop? Do, does it need to be an ongoing thing, a once a year thing? How often? Well, we talk about it in the book, how to find a good counselor, but a really good Christian counselor, his or her job, they try to work themselves out of a job. Now, initially when you come to them, they may need to meet with you three or four times in a row to kind of get your story, get a feel for you, see what's coming on. But eventually and it depends on the degree where you are. Uh, but eventually they'll start meeting with you instead of like every week, then it'll be like every other week, then maybe once a month, and then they can mm-hmm. release you. Uh, how long you need to be in counseling really depends on the nature of your your situation. So, I mean, for some people, maybe just meet with somebody once or twice uh, in a month or once a month for two or three months might be all you need just to kind of get caught up, get some homework. And a good counselor will also give you homework to do. Mm. So uh, so I think it really depends on the individual. But I, I think going just one time could be a, a good time. And But again, in the book, we tell you how to select a good counselor and, and make that work. Speaking of that, one thing I really like uh, about the book is you, you have a co-author with you, Monique Gadsen. Um, and you, you, throughout the book, you give your, your thoughts and then you go to her couch. 
right. uh, and, and and get her official, you know, th- th- I guess th- uh, counseling uh, notes. You want to talk about that for a second and her insights? Well, I think she's just great. Well, one, I, she's a licensed, you know, counselor, which is really important. For, we thought it was important for people reading the book, but she gives some really great insight in this, in an area where, I, where I'm not a licensed counselor. So I think it's really good. And she just, she's encouraging, she's biblical, but she also knows the clinical stuff, but she doesn't give you all the clinicalese language. She just talks to you as a person. And she's been a counselor on a staff and she's also, you know, a minister. So she has tremendous insight. And at the end of every chapter, we, we actually have questions so people can kind of work through, you know, where they might be. Yeah. So I, I think the people love, I think Gary Chapman he loves the fact that we do that. You know, I share my stuff. Yep. She says, this is why Clarence is so crazy. And then right. questions you can kind of process and go through. So we think right. that's really good. And I love, too, how you, you guys have put uh, your text messages, some of your actual communication uh, in here. So you can see, uh, I guess, how crazy you are. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and her response to that. Just kidding. Uh, and her response well, to that. So it's really good. Well, Carl, you know, we thought, um, again, we thought we could model or at least who could use her modeling, how important it is to stay in touch. Because usually she initiated all those text messages just to check up on me, make sure I'm doing okay. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times we weren't talking every week, sometimes every two weeks, but she would just check in. And we had a really long list. It's it over a period of a couple of years where she kept checking in. But we thought it was something new and different that people could actually yeah. see a counselor, talk, a, a, someone needing counseling, talking to a counselor and what the responses were. Well, I love doing this. Uh, you know, the name of our podcast is Making Sunday Happen. And so we do a lot of, you know, the technical aspects. How do I push the button this way? How do I move the fader? You know, what are some ideas for creativity, things like that? But I, I love also doing topics like this because mm-hmm. Making Sunday Happen is a lot more than just I know the right button to push. Right. It's it's taking care of ourselves as well. And so we've done multiple episodes uh, kind of along these lines. So really appreciate you coming on. Uh, if someone is listening and is in a dark place right now, and you've mentioned a couple of ideas, but where can we go for help right now that maybe we haven't mentioned? Well, I don't have a number in front of me, but there's a suicide line. And I think they shortened it to like just three numbers, but you can just Google that really quickly. And there's a suicide line that I would go right to. If you're feeling that way, I think it's really important. We have a longer number in the book, but I think just go to Google, say suicide help. And there are three little numbers that come up. It's not 911, but but you can even call 911 and say, I need help. And they'll get help to you. So that'd be the first thing I would say, do if if someone's in a dark place and, and suicidal and wants help, there's someone who will call you, respond to you immediately and send someone to you immediately. What if I'm not suicidal? What if I'm just a pastor? I don't know if I'm struggling uh, or not. Oh. I don't know how deep I am into a dark place. Is there a, a ministry or, or somewhere that you would send folks first? Well, I, you know, um, Focus on the family has a list of minister, uh, uh, men, uh, counselors, uh, Tim Clinton's uh, American Association of Christian Counselors uh, has a list of people you can go to. You can go to that, but you still have to end of, interview those people individually, see which one is a fit for you. Mm-hmm. Or if you know some Christian counselors in town or a church that has a, a counselor on staff, you could call them and ask them, say, hey, I'd like to talk to somebody who you recommend. If that counselor's not in your church 
and you feel comfortable, you could actually go to that person. But if you want to keep anonymity and nobody to know who you are, mm-hmm. then you could just uh, say, would you recommend two or three people that you could call? Yeah. Good. Well, the book is Finding Hope in a Dark Place. It's available now wherever books are sold. Uh, Clarence, thanks so much for the time, man. I hope to see you at the next uh, Fatherhood uh, commission. I guess we'll have to wait till uh, December to do that. So if I run it, I'm in South Carolina. So if you come okay. back to North Carolina, meet with Gary or anything, please let me know. I'd love to uh, to hang out. Well, that'd be great. I have relatives in South Carolina, so maybe I can get my way and come come see you. Yeah. But Carl, thanks so much for having me. And thanks for asking some really great questions about uh, this whole idea of depression, loneliness, and anxiety. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Clarence. Thanks. Bye-bye now. Hey, friends, as we are wrapping up this podcast, I wanted to share a few fun clips with you just along the way that we've been having. So I'm going to share this week a five-question segment that we did with pastor and author Talbot Davis. Here's Rapid Fire with Talbert. All right, number one, what's the biggest risk you've ever taken in ministry? Biggest risk I've ever taken in ministry is building a new addition to our structure called the living room uh, when in the middle of economic uncertainty. Was it during the COVID stuff? No, was it, it was recently? before that, but it was still, it was uh, just after the great crash of mm-hmm. 08. Right, yeah. Okay. And God provided, God came through. Yeah, awesome. All right, number two, what is something that you see in the church today that makes you sad? I see people and churches and leaders modifying the word to satisfy the world, and that doesn't win us more converts. It only earns us more contempt. Hmm. That sounds like a bottom line right there. It is. (laughs) All right, number three, what should pastors be focusing more on? I think they should focus more on knocking on doors, meeting people who live out in the community, and giving them uh, low-threat invitations to church. And when I say knocking on doors, I don't mean people who already go to church. I mean people you know who have moved into your area. Number four, what characteristic do you value or admire most in other pastors? I admire biblical fidelity. When, when people can withstand the pressure to conform, to adapt, to modify, and instead say, no, I don't need to invent a new faith. The one I've her- inherited is plenty good enough. Mm, good. I love that. All right. Uh, last one. What is one thing that pastors should do this Sunday to improve their sermons? Bring clarity when the world brings clutter and when you're tempted to bring confusion. Good. Awesome. Well, man, thank you so much. How can we pick up the book? Uh, Where can we get it? How can we uh, get more engaged with your content? Yes. Simplify the message. Multiply the impact is available on Amazon. It's also available uh, in that case at uh, Mm abingdonpress.com, I believe. And all my books are available. If you, if you type in Talbot Davis books to the Amazon search engine, you'll, there, there are now seven there and soon to be nine. Um, but they're all. This is the only one that is on preaching, though. So two more on the way. You want to uh, tell us about those? Yes, those. These are uh, the 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 three. One just released. Come alive, Matthew. Then the second volume of the Come Alive series is on Galatians and Ephesians, and that releases in September. 
The third volume is on the book of Proverbs and that releases in November. And that entire series are uh, daily reading guides through books of the Bible. And they're much weightier than a daily devotion and yet less heavy than a scholarly commentary. And so they're mostly designed for laity, but I have a sense that a lot of clergy are going to pick them up and use them for sermon helps as well. Yeah, awesome. Well, Talbot, thank you so much for for the time. Great information. I want to encourage everybody to go pick up the book, especially uh, pastors wanting to to craft better sermons. So, uh, man, thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. Thank you, Carl. Appreciate it. The show notes for this episode are available now at makingsundayhappen.com. We have come to the end of our show this week. Makingsundayhappen.com is the website, makingsundayhappen.com. All archive episodes of this podcast live right there, rent-free for you, absolutely free for you to take and listen to, share with your team. Uh, We have a lot of uh, media directors and communications folks, uh, worship leaders, uh, anybody that makes Sunday happen. We have a lot of people that uh, share this podcast with their team. Uh, So thank you for that. I was just at a conference uh, last week uh, that someone came up to me and said, not only does uh, she listen to the podcast, but that uh, she sends it out to her entire team every week. So thank you so much uh, for listening. Uh, Thank you so much for hanging out with me. Hopefully it is a, uh, it's a blessing to you and uh, the the folks that we have on you're you're learning from and can take some ideas from. So uh, thank you for being on this journey with me and with our team. All right, next week on the show, I welcome my new friend, Corey Alderin. Corey is the owner of Sermon Shots. And we're going to talk about how to do reels, how to clip up your sermons to use during the week on social media. That's next week. We'll go out there and create some incredible worship experiences at your church this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Making Sunday Happen is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your church, visit makingsundayhappen.com.